Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I hope you're doing well this morning. Thank you so much for being uh, here today. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you have chosen uh, to take time out of your Sunday morning uh, and worship with us and be here with us. And uh, today we're con continuing in a series that we've entitled Pedestal, and uh, we're up to week five in this series, and uh, we are discussing different things that um, are kind of common to all humans that we replace God with in our lives. We began uh, in week one talking about the fact that you and I have a place in our lives where we put a claim or we put honor or we put glory to that thing that we love the most. We do it with our heads, we do it with our hearts, we do it with our hands, we do it in a lot of different ways and we give glory to that thing, we give honor to it, we give focus to it, and it then becomes the thing that replaces God in our lives because God created us to put him on the pedestal of our lives, to put him in the first place spot in our lives. And so often, I don't know about you, but so often we and I, I don't know about you, but we take things in our lives and we put them on that pedestal and in doing so we take God right off the pedestal of our lives and that's where we are we've talked about money that was a fun one wasn't it we talked about pleasure that was even worse we talked about relationships last week and today we come to this whole idea of status now I'll tell you today that um, today's message and next week's message are almost kind of like part one and part two because next week we're going to be talking about self-image and self-image and status um, in a lot of ways are, are similar things, aren't they? They're similar things. But today, we're going to be talking about status, things that we um, kind of want to become, things that we have this desire to uh, achieve, and uh, maybe an ambition or, or a, a sense of wanting to accomplish something to the point where we knock God off the pedestal of our lives. There's, a, uh, there's an old phrase, an old saying, it goes like this. The trouble is, is that too many people are spending money they haven't yet earned for things they don't need to impress people they don't like. Isn't that true? I love that. That is so true. <laughs> and I got to tell you, in our day and age, you and I are consumed. You and I are consumed with receiving things, with bringing things into ourselves with uh, trying to accomplish much so that we can impress people around us. If you think about it for a moment, um, social media is completely and entirely built on that whole premise, isn't it? Uh, social media is built on that premise altogether. We're going to talk more about that next week specifically because it, it is a tool that can be used in an amazing, effective way but we often take it and we make a mess of it, just like we do with so many things in our lives. And so we've kind of gone through this idea of money and pleasure and relationships, and today we come to this idea of status. And I want to begin with two definitions. If you have your notes, you can open them up this morning. Um, if you have the app, if you've downloaded the app on your iPad or phone or whatever device you have, um, or if you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, you, you know, 
Google it sometime, but you won't understand that. So that's a whole like whole thing there. Anyway, uh, I just want to encourage you to uh, download that app. There's a lot of great things on there that you can uh, take advantage of and be a part of, one of which is the notes each and every week. I want to begin with a definition. First of all, pedestal. I kind of want to come back to that. It's an idiom. It's a phrase that we use in our English language. It really means to glorify or to idealize or to idolize, to idolize something, to put first place or put top value to something. And that's everything that we're talking about kind of goes towards that. And and I want to say this this morning before we go any further. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but everything that we've talked about so far, including today's topic, are things that actually God intended for us to use for his good, for our um, sustenance, for for our pleasure in in a good way, but to all bring glory to him. And we often take those things and we make a mess of it, and it becomes a pedestal that knocks God off of our lives. Let's take a look at a couple different definitions of status. One is just a straight-on definition from uh, Webster, and that is this. The position of an individual in relation to another. In relation to another or others, especially in regard to social or professional standing. I, I, I emphasized on purpose that point when it says in relation to another or others. Because the pedestal that we're going to be talking about today has so much to do with this one word, and we're going to get into this in a moment, called comparison. Comparison. We put the pedestal of status, or we put the idea of status on the pedestal of our lives when we have this urge or compulsion or obsession to compare ourselves with people around us, don't we? And so I kind of came up with a definition of status. Um, I'm not saying Webster's wrong because, you know, it's been around for a while. But this is the definition that I want to use for status. It's comparing ourselves to other people by finding security and identity in what we have achieved, accomplished, or attained. Comparing ourselves to other people by finding security and identity in what we have achieved, accomplished, or attained. Now, today's message is a little bit of a kind of a breakdown message. Um, We're going to take some foundational things and and take it apart, and next week we'll build it back up. I I hope that makes sense to you. Today, um, some of you are like, yeah, it means today's going to be bad, next week's going to be good, I'm glad I came today. Um, That's not really what I mean, because I hope that you'll be encouraged um, and challenged by today. But largely, today we're going to be taking some things apart, and then next week kind of building it back up. Um, But I, I pray and have been praying you won't leave empty um, today, and I believe, I believe you will leave with something to sink your teeth into for the remainder of this week. I want to give you some examples of status, and I'm going to say these out loud, and as I, as I say these, because some of you might even be trying to like, get your head around where we are with this whole idea of status. Some of you are like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, but let me give you some examples of what status could be in our modern-day age the status that we would bump God off the pedestal of our lives. Um, It it is uh, a few different things, maybe like um, living in a certain neighborhood. 
maybe living behind the right gated community in Hilton Head Island, the right plantation. I mean, just the fact that we call it plantation might imply status, right? I mean, let's just be honest for a second this morning, right? Have you ever talked to your friends from up north about calling it a plantation? Wow, get some interesting feedback, don't you? But anyway, um, so like living in a certain neighborhood can be status, can't it? Driving a certain car can be a status thing that bumps us, bumps God off the pedestal of our lives. Um, having certain types of friends and parents and adults, um, grown-ups here today, um, this is not just your teenagers dealing with this. We deal with this as well, don't we? We want to be known by who we associate with, and, and that status of association um, can become an obsession with us. If you're a student here and you're getting ready to go to college, oh my goodness, that's where this really, really takes root, right, parents? Right, parents? This is where it really takes root. And you couldn't easily allow your relationship with Jesus Christ, your, this, this anchored thing that you have with God, be uprooted in an instant when you take this whole idea of I want to associate with these people and make that your God and your idol. So this whole idea of association or, or having a certain type of friend, um, maybe in, in your vocation, in your occupation, in your job, um, holding a certain position, that's status. So, you know, you're like up higher on the org chart than everybody else. You see that comparison thing. And so these are types of things that we can become consumed with and pursue instead of pursuing God. Um, earning a different or a certain type of degree um, Man, if, if that were the thing that was on my pedestal, I'd be a sad person. Let me tell you, it's just taking me forever to get through seminary. I'm just being honest this morning. Um, but for some of you, that may be that education. Like you want that master's degree or you want that doctorate or you want that specific grade so that you can graduate with that specific thing and that specific honor because you want to be better than everybody around you. That can be something that is a status that goes on the pedestal of our lives. Maybe winning a certain type of, of reward or um, maybe, maybe parents. Hang on, let me talk to you for a second because this really hits home with us as parents. And we, I, I'm just telling you, we deal with this like with our family. Um, that they go to the right school or they get the right education, a certain type of school or a certain type of education, or that they play the right sport on the right club team. Ouch. That one hurt, didn't it? It's okay. It's really okay. You can be just like, take a deep breath. It's okay. I, I get that, that that is something that we can become consumed with, moms and dads. We can become consumed with our kids attaining a certain type of status. And you know, you and I, we can even do this in our spiritual lives or in our church work. Our work for God can become something that we're consumed with uh, attaining like this certain maybe position or place in the church, which by the way, there's not too much talk about that. It's pretty linear in scripture. But when we make something like becoming an elder our God or becoming a life group leader our God, and, and we are consumed with that or becoming a pastor, which sometimes I struggle with, it can become our God, small g, instead of the God of creation, the God of the universe. 
And so this whole idea of status is multifaceted. Now, I'm going to give another disclaimer this morning. Some of you have been with us these last few weeks. You're probably like, come on, enough with the disclaimers. But it's very important that you hear me today. What I am not saying, because this prevents me from getting an influx of email into my inbox when y'all are mad at me about something. So anyway, this is just me, you know, kind of protecting myself. Anyway, but I do want you to hear this this morning. What I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about a healthy ambition for life, okay? Are you with me? Like, I'm not talking about trying to achieve success with your family or in your spiritual life or in your church or in your job, or in your education. All of those things are good. The other thing I'm trying to prevent for you parents that have a high schooler is like, hey, see, Pastor Todd said I don't have to study for that exam because I might make it more important than God. Okay, if you have that conversation, please schedule a meeting with me because I'll talk to your student about that, okay? All right, that is not what I'm saying. Ambition is good. Achievement is good striving after something using your God-given gifts and abilities and talents is a good thing. But just like money and just like pleasure and just like relationships, we can take ambition or status or achievement or success and you and I can make that our everything instead of God. Today, um, I'm going to represent this um, with a trophy, all right? Makes sense, right? So we got a trophy here. This is a, a karate trophy. I've never done karate in my life, but I didn't have a trophy that you wouldn't, like, have to squint to see. Um, and so uh, we borrowed this from, I borrowed this from one of our staff members. So anyway, um, so this is going to represent that thing that we bump God off with when we try to make status, whatever that is for you, the most important thing in our lives. I want to begin today um, as we walk through this message with a story. And I'm going to tell you a story uh, that's in the Bible. And it is a, a, a very obscure story found in First and Second Kings. You don't have to turn there because we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But it does set the table for the whole idea of you and I um, trying to achieve success to the degree that we bump God right off the pedestal of our lives. It's the story of one of David's sons. Now, um, if you're a, a student of the Bible uh, to any degree, you know that David had a lot of kids. Most scholars believe that he had 19 um, children, and he had, most scholars believe he had one daughter. Oh, my goodness. There should have been a prayer service for her. But anyway, one daughter and a bunch of boys. And so David was the second king of Israel, the nation of Israel. Saul was the first king, and David became the second king of Israel. And as we say it today, um, some of you who kind of know this, you can kind of say it with me. It's Saul, and then David, and then what, who's the next king in line that we know of today? Oh, man, that's awesome. I hear it out there. King Solomon, okay? King Solomon. So we know today of, of King Saul and King David and King Solomon being the first three kings of the nation of Israel. And then after Solomon was king, actually towards the end of his reign of king, everything fell apart in, in the nation of Israel. And they split, they divided into two kingdoms, uh, Israel and Judah. And, and it's quite a mess and it's really interesting. And we've talked about that before. But um, Solomon was the last king of Israel before the, the nation was divided. But it's interesting, there's kind of a backstory, um, and, and this backstory is a really interesting story, and it's one of those that created a lot of tension 
around the dinner table there in King David's house, and it's uh, recorded in 1 Kings 1 and 2. And, and here's how it kind of goes. Um, David had two oldest sons, um, and he's nearing his death when we read 1 Kings 1 and 2 here. He's coming very close to his death. Um, and, and he had several different wives, and that's like a whole sermon for another time. Okay, I don't want to get into that today, but it was the Old Testament. Things were different back then, and it's just, just trust me, okay? All right, so anyway, so he had all these wives, and, and he had all these kids, and there were um, several sons that were kind of like the next ones in line for the throne. And um, there was Absalom and Amnon, and both of them were killed um, out in the battlefield. And so the, the next oldest son was a guy by the name of um, Adonijah. I had to, like, think through that for a minute. Adonijah, all right? You can name your next kid if you're about ready to have a, a child. Adonijah, okay? And you can say, hey, I named my, um, my child after King David's, one of King David's son. And Adonijah was the, um, the, the natural heir to, to the throne. And King David is, is dying. And so Adonijah um, does this as King David is very close to his death. Um, he decides to have his own coronation before his father dies. So this guy, Adonijah, is like, you know, I'm the rightful heir to the throne. I'm the next guy in line. Like, I'm the, I'm the next firstborn son. My brothers have, have died, and actually it was stepbrothers, but they've died. And so he says, you know, I'm the one that is supposed to take um, this, this throne, and I'm going to be the next king of Israel. And so he decides to not wait on his father or, or um, his, his mother or even Nathan, who was the prophet of God during that time. He decides, I'm going to throw a party for myself. And at this party, I'm going to crown myself king. I mean, that breaks a lot of, like, just etiquette rules about the normal course of, like, human life. Like, was this guy living under a rock that he would do this before his dad died? He's still the king. And, and like, he, he, like, planned his own party. He planned his own coronation. And then um, he decides that he's not going to invite. Now, David wouldn't probably be there because he was, he was in poor health. And he wouldn't be there. But he decides not to invite um, Nathan. This man of God, this prophet of God. He also decides not to invite Bathsheba, who, who is David's now, like, you know, the wife that he was closest to and had Solomon as a son. And all of a sudden, Nathan and Bathsheba go to David on his deathbed and say, King David, your son Adonijah is about ready to become the king. There's a party going on right now. And he's going to coronate himself, and this is not God's will. And Nathan makes this appeal along with Bathsheba that it was Solomon, this man who was a wise ruler and a wise person and someone who was really tuned in to God's work in his life. He was supposed to be God's king for Israel. And so David essentially says, yeah, you're right. Uh, you guys need to go take care of this. Adonijah, is, yes, he's the rightful heir because of his birth order, but he is not supposed to be the next king. And Solomon then is, is uh, essentially, before David passes away, is made king of Israel. And, and there's this awkward, like, stepbrother um, conversation that they have. And Solomon essentially says to Adonijah, I'm going to forgive you, um, but if you come back here and try to take my throne... 
um, I'm going to, you know, do away with you. You're, you're going to be gone. You're not going to be on this earth anymore. So let's live peacefully and, and let's let, you know, sleeping dogs lie and let's just move on with life. All right? We've all probably been there with a relationship or two, right? We wanted to kill them and we were like, yeah, let's just move on with life. And Adonijah goes away for a little while. But because of his obsession with the throne and because of his overwhelming like thought that he was entitled to the throne he goes back and he confronts Bathsheba his stepmother can you imagine and he talks to her and take a look at what he does first kings 2 13 through 15 then Adonijah the son of Haggith came to Bathsheba the mother of Solomon and she said do you come peacefully that would be the first question I would ask, too. He said, peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. So all of a sudden, it looks like everything's fine, right? I have something to say to you. She said, speak. He said, you know that the kingdom was mine. Awkward. Am I right? Like, all right, this is all being confronted right here out in public. And that all of Israel fully expected me to reign. And he says, however, the kingdom has turned about and become my brothers for it was his from the Lord and we're not going to read any further but if you stop there you think well this guy's a, maybe he's a pretty decent guy he's just airing his grievance with Bathsheba right but he does something remarkably wrong later in the chapter and he tries to usurp that throne he tries to take over the throne from Solomon and Solomon kept his word and Adonijah died. This is a great example, an obscure passage. I'm sure like none of you walked away from Sunday school class going, hey, mom and dad, I learned about Adonijah today. Like what? Who is that? Where is that found in the Bible? This is an obscure character, but how important is that? I mean, it's King Saul, it's King David, and it's not King Adonijah because God did not want this man to become king, but, but he almost did every, actually he did everything that he could. He was passive aggressive in the end. He was aggressive at the beginning and he became passive aggressive at the end to try to undo what God has, had established as the natural order of things because he was consumed. He was like completely overwhelmed with himself becoming the king. It was all about status. For Adonijah. It was all about status. He wanted to have the position. He wanted the title. He wanted to be the top guy on the org chart. And it illustrates and it shows us in, in a very unique way um, how you and I can take this good God-given ambition and uh, a sense of accomplishment or striving for accomplishment and we can take it and we can absolutely use it to fill ourselves up and bump God right off the pedestal of our lives. Let's take a few moments this morning and try to figure out why and how we can prevent that from happening. Take a look at your notes this morning. First point, we've kind of used questions to set the stage for our points. Why are we so consumed with our status? Why are you and I so consumed with our status, whatever that may be? Well, I believe that the intrinsic problem is that we trust ourselves to such a degree 
that we think that we can on our own do what God's intent is supposed to do with our lives. We trust ourselves to this extreme degree that we're going to kick open any door that exists to get what we want for ourselves. And we trust ourselves to making sure that we have a claim, that we have achievement, that we have status in our lives. There's, a, there's an old story, um, I read this years ago. It's about a heavyweight boxer by the name of James Tillis, who was called Quick Tillis. And he was a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought outside of the Chicagoland area back in the um, 1980s. And he still remembers his first day when he arrived from Tulsa um, into Chicago, into the Windy City. He said, I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago. And I stopped in front of the Sears Tower. And he says, I looked up at the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down and I looked up at the Sears Tower and I began to gaze at it. And I thought to myself, I am going to conquer Chicago. And he said, I got done with that dream for a moment. And I looked down and my suitcases were gone. <laughs> we think that we can achieve what we want and in striving after that thing, without making God the centerpiece of our lives, we knock God right off of that. And we live in a society that breeds this worship of achievement and accomplishment and gain. And I want to tell you this morning that if you think that um, I have like no um, re reliability to talk about this because I'm a pastor and I probably don't deal with this. And, you know, pastors are supposed to be... Um, you know, meek and humble and like, you know, we just kind of, no, let me tell you something. When pastors get together, it's the same thing that happens in your job. We compare ourselves with each other. I promise you, we do it all the time. There are questions like, um, hey, where'd you get your seminary degree at? Status. How many people are you running in your church? Status. What's your annual budget? So you think we get together and we may talk about what God is doing. And we get there. <laughs> we do. But we have to go through all this first because we're humans. And we deal with status just like you do. We deal with one-upsmanship just like everyone does. Simply put, I believe that we're so consumed with our status because there's pride in ourselves. There's trust in ourselves for personal achievement and accomplish. And this whole idea of being consumed with status really equals the fact that we are self-reliant and not God-reliant. We are self-reliant and not God-reliant. Look at what Paul says to the churches in Galatia. I love this. He was talking to these churches, and there was um, some quarreling, kind of some turf warfare going on. And he says this, for if anyone thinks um, he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We're going to look at this passage again next week, by the way. Okay, we'll talk about this again next week. If anyone thinks he's something when he is really nothing, he deceives himself. Man, Paul didn't pull any punches, did he? He deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For we each will have to bear his own load. You see, Paul kind of summarizes why we as humans deal with this idea of achievement being our God instead of God being our God. 
I want to break it down into three areas. First of all, because we have pride. We have pride about what we've accomplished. We have pride about what we've accomplished. Maybe it's in the workplace, students. Maybe it's a certain grade, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be above everyone else. Well, that's great, and that's awesome, and I'm, I'm proud of you for that, really. But if that becomes your God, that's a whole different story. If it becomes the thing that you're obsessed with, it's a whole different story. Um, men and women, uh, we do this in our workplace. We do this in our homes. Sometimes there's pride about who's in charge of what area in our home, and we can even be competitive with our spouses, can't we? We can even have pride in our homes about who does what instead of a genuine trust and love for each other. There's pride in our lives, and it can even become spiritual. Um, listen, uh, tonight we're doing baptism down at Caligny. You're going to hear me talk about, uh, talk about it at the end of today's message. We're going down to Caligny. We do public baptism, really public. We go down to Caligny on a perfect beach day. And uh, we're going down there. It's a kind of little church beach party from uh, 5.30 to about 7, 7.30, something like that today. And um, so I, I want to encourage you to be there. But listen, some of you, I get this because I was there. Some of you um, have never followed in believer's baptism. Because you have pride, spiritual pride. Let, let me explain, because I went through this. Um, I asked Jesus to be my Savior at six years old. And I remembered I, I was um, in a first-grade classroom. My teacher, I, was, I went to a Christian school, and my teacher gave the gospel in a classroom, and I accepted Jesus Christ right there in, in that classroom. And for a long time, like, I really didn't understand what I did until I was about... 13, 14, 15, right in that range, and man, my, my spiritual life just really got on fire and, and kind of existed at, at, you know, in this same state for a while. And I got to college, and um, there was a whole message series on baptism, and I realized I had never been baptized. And I rejected being baptized, and I rejected being baptized, and I rejected being baptized, and I knew that that's what, like Jesus said, believe and be baptized, and that's what he did. John the Baptist baptized him, and everybody in the Bible, like some of you who went to the class the other day already heard this, um, like that's what we do. We believe and be baptized, and our, our eternity is not based on our baptism. It's based on our belief in Jesus Christ as our Savior, but Jesus said the next thing we ought to do is be baptized, and some of you are like, you know, your feet are tied to the floor like, I'm not going to be baptized because I've been a Christ follower for a long time, and I don't want anybody to see that i got to go down to the beach and be baptized. Man, get rid of that. Get rid of that. I was 21, and yeah, I went through that. I went through a period of time where I was like, I've been a Christian a long time. I don't want people to think that, like, I didn't have it all together. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We don't need to have spiritual pride. We don't need to have pride about what we've accomplished or attained or achieved in our lives. It can be destructive in our spiritual lives. Secondly, we'll talk about that in a moment. Secondly, um, why, why are you and I consumed with this whole idea of, of status? It's because we compare ourselves with other people. It's because we compare ourselves with other people. Um, I'm sorry if you're, we got a Jones family right over here, guys. Sorry, it's keeping up with the Joneses, not you guys. But like, you know, it's that whole phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Like our whole culture is based on the, this whole idea of keeping up with people around us. We, we compare ourselves to other people. He, he says there in Galatians 6, um, verse 3 and 4 there, For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Like you're lying to yourself if you think you've achieved something on your own. And that's the whole goal of your life 
but let each one test his own work, his own work. We have pride about what we've accomplished, but we, we compare ourselves to other people. And evidently, the church is there in that region of Galatia. We're doing that. And, and then lastly, it's because we analyze what others do instead of what we do. This is what Paul is saying. I love this. He's like, hey, um, mind your own business, spiritually speaking. Like, get your eyes off of what you want in life. Get your eyes off of what everybody else is doing and focus on what God has called you to do. You are uniquely and wonderfully made. Listen, some of you probably need to hear this this morning. You are uniquely and wonderfully made. We're going to dive into that verse next week. God knew you from before the beginning of time. And he knew what your role in life would be. And to compare yourself with someone else in terms of status is really undoing what God has intended for you to do. And so we really get hung up on this whole idea of status when we have pride about what we've accomplished, when we compare ourselves to other people, and then we do it because we analyze what others do instead of what we do. Paul is saying here, keep your eyes focused on what God has called you to do. And that leads us to our second question this morning, Take a look at it. How does our preoccupation with status harm our spiritual lives? Just pretty straightforward here. A few things I want you to be thinking about. First of all, playing that comparison game breeds insecurity. I know I play it often. I play it often. It breeds insecurity. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and, and you can see how unhealthy this whole idea of having your status is on the pedestal of, of your life instead of God. Um, it's an infection that can not only harm you spiritually, but can harm other people. Look at this, 2 Corinthians um, uh, 10, uh, verse 12. Uh, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Paul says be very careful in any context to compare yourself to other people because that is the thing that will erode your security in Christ, which leads me to the second point of, of how our preoccupation with status harms us spiritually. Secondly, finding our identity in ourselves threatens our identity in Christ. If you're a Christ follower here and you've been a Christian for a week or a year or 10 years or decades upon decades upon decades, you are his Your identity, your um, ability to, to have any status at all is based on the fact that he chose you to be his child. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, if you're trying to find any kind of entitlement like Adonijah in your life based on your status, you're not going to find it. It will fail you at some point in time. But finding your entitlement as a child of God, that's something to stand strong on. That's something to stand strong on and have a, a healthy spiritual pride about. And lastly, when we are preoccupied with ourselves and 
we leave no room to be passionate about God. Listen, when our focus is only on achievement, when it's only on ambition, when it's only on attaining things in our lives that play at our status, um, we really leave no room to give God everything we've got. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, he says, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, it's about this and not this. And when our whole focus in life is this, man, we knock God right off, and we are not able to proclaim him as a ruler of our lives. Jeremiah, back in the Old Testament, says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. And that leads me to the third question this morning. What steps can we take to keep status from replacing God on the pedestal of our lives? Here's how we can fix this. Here's how we can prevent this. Paul warns us, we studied this back in uh, November, Paul warns us about this in Philippians, the church, uh, the letter to the church in Philippi in 2, 5 through 8, he says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the form of God, but did not count, what's that next word? Equality with God, a thing to be grasped. See, Jesus wasn't concerned with entitlement. He wasn't concerned with equality. He wasn't concerned with those things, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a ser servant, being born in the likeness of, of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so just a few steps that we can take to make sure that we don't let our status in life bump God off the pedestal of our lives. First of all, we empty ourselves of pride. Empty ourselves of pride. Look at your accomplishments. Find out where those things are that you're prideful about, more so than your relationship with God, more so than your family, more so than who you are in Christ, and empty yourself of that. Let go of that. Secondly, take the position of a servant. That's what Paul said. Take the position of a servant. Find out where you can serve. For some of you men and women, I've probably said this before, but it begins serving right in your home first. It begins serving your family first, men, guys, dads, and other things like your work second. And then finally, embracing humility. Like be okay with humility. In fact, not just be okay with it, but embrace it. Embrace it. Let it be the thing that you are defined by. There's an old story, um, I love this, about a king. Uh, he was visiting a college, a, a Swedish king. He was vid visiting a, a, a village school, not a college, one day, and King Oscar II of Sweden asked the, the students to name the greatest kings of Sweden. Well, the answers were unanimous. Gustavus Vasa, Gustavus Adolphus, Charles X. There's old King Oscar asking that question, and they answer all these other kings. So the teacher leaned over to one little boy and whispered something in his ear. And King Oscar volunteered the child to respond. And the child responded by saying, King Oscar is the greatest king of Sweden. And King Oscar said, really? And what has King Oscar done that is so remarkable? 
And the child began to stammer and stutter and get nervous. I, I, I don't know. And the king said, I don't know either. Embrace humility. It's the thing that will help us from knocking God off the pedestal of our lives when status becomes our goal, when status becomes our aim. I said it before at the beginning, it is not a bad thing to strive after achievement. It's not a God-honoring thing to do the best that you can do in your life with your vocation, with your work, students with your school, parents with being a parent, grandparents with being grandparents, businessmen and women, to strive after the best that you can do in your jobs. It's a spiritual problem for us when it becomes the main thing, when ambition becomes the only thing, when achievement becomes more important than God himself. And so this morning, I want you to think about what's your source of pride and accomplishment? Is it your relationship with him? Or is it what you've achieved? Or maybe what you're striving to achieve? Or maybe even from an insecure standpoint, what you haven't achieved when you compare yourself to others. Will you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for the reminder that it really requires us to empty ourselves of any pride. And it really requires ourselves to take on the attitude of a servant in the environments in which we live and work and serve. And it requires us, God, to embrace humility. And Father, when we do those three things, when we are committed to emptying ourselves of pride, and taking on the mindset of a servant and embracing humility, oh, then we can make sure that you're the one that's on the pedestal of our lives, that you remain there, that our lives point everything and everyone that we come in contact to you. So this morning, if you're a, a Christ follower here today, um, and maybe you've really been struggling with this whole idea of achievement and success being that thing in your life that you worship, you give everything to. I want to give you a moment before we hear this song that Christine is going to sing and the band's going to play. I want to give you a moment to just do some things with God. And I'm going to help you here for a moment. Um, number one, just talk to him and ask him to help you to empty yourself of pride. Um, I've been forced to do that in my life, and it's much more painful to be forced to empty yourself of pride than it is to willingly do it yourself. So just talk to him for a moment about emptying yourself of any pride. Secondly, today, what does it mean for you to take on the, the mindset, the form of a servant. What does that mean for you? Maybe it means getting in the car with a different attitude this morning. Maybe it means when you arrive at home, you have a different mindset. Talk to God about what that means in your own life. Is it at home? Is it at work? Is it here at church? Just talk to him about that.
now that you've rid yourself of, of pride and got your mind around the idea of acting like a servant, finally, what would it look like if you really embraced, like loved being humble? What would it look like if you were to humble yourself in God's eyes and with those you interact with on a daily basis? What does it mean for you to humble yourself today? I'll just give you a moment to talk to God about that too. God, I pray that you would be with us, that you would guide us, that you would be our everything. And God, in those moments that we have opportunity to place an unhealthy ambition, an outrageous desire for achievement, an out-of-control want and desire for acclaim and accomplishment that is so strong, that it's beyond our love for you. I pray that you would help us to get rid of pride, to have the attitude of a servant, and take on and embrace humility. And God, I pray that as you do a work in our lives, God, that we would just be overwhelmed with your presence. God, that we would be just overwhelmed with what you're doing in our lives. Do a new work in us, Holy Spirit. As we close here this morning, before you leave, I want you to listen as Christine sings the words of the song and as the band plays. Listen to these words and ask God to do an amazing work in your life.